kill me. Okay, so today we're going to focus on sexuality as it pertains to young women and girls, young girls and women. Um, I chose this topic, one, because I am a woman, so I have some personal experience with this topic and my own sexuality and that whole journey. But I also just recently read for professional development purposes a book entitled Girls and Sex, which was very insightful. So I just wanted to give my two cents on that, um, some of the statistical things behind it that I've seen in the media as well. I have a guest here with me, Angela. She's also LMFT as a marriage and family therapist. So she's going to be chiming in and giving her perspective on some of the things that we discuss here. So um, the book, the book I read is called Girls and Sex by Peggy Ornstein. Uh, The book came out March of this year. She previously had two other books, one which was titled Cinderella Ate My Daughter. That book focused on the princess phase, as she deemed it, which basically talks about how up to about age seven, the media or corporate America, the marketing companies all aim at, I guess, reminding young girls that they're girls and keeping them in this princess phase. All girls wants to have that princess uh, Disney kind of um, uh, presentation of their sexuality. Did you experience that phase or... I don't, I've personally never went through the, I was a tomboy, so I've never had the princess phase. Well, I kind of grew up, I grew up with Barbie. And okay. so Barbie was a huge part of my childhood and, um, and what Barbie looked like. Mm-hmm. Um, that ideal. Yeah. The, the <clears throat> ideal, the ideal body and mm-hmm. the blonde and, um, that was what I had as a, because I didn't have this, the. The commercialized Cinderella um, and Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, although I did have the movies and, and I did have those experiences. Mm-hmm. But not so out in the media like the princess phases nowadays. And, oh, right, okay. right. Nothing was like that. Okay, because that book was released in uh, 2011. The, another book that she had previous to that one was re- released um, back in 95, and it was uh, titled School Girls, and that focused on self-esteem among adolescents. But the book I want to focus on today, The Girls and Sex, with this book, she moves into the later teen years and how girls explore the sexual or the social territory um, of sexuality, which is full of conflicting expectations about their behavior, coupled with the premeditation uh, of silence around their own pleasure and agency towards mm-hmm. uh, or when, you, when it comes to sexuality. So in this book, she interviewed over 70 women. Uh, Their ages range from 15 to 20. And these subjects that she had chose were all women who were trying to become sexual subjects, but being surrounded by the pressures to serve as a a sexualized object. And so even with that whole thing of how society sort of portrays women to, or even women going out to, to try to figure out their own sexuality and how we have these outside pressures put on us or these expectations of, especially around religion and modesty and virginity and having to hold that till marriage. But then these women who are in the ads and in the, you know, in the, the stores and some of the outfits that are portrayed as sexy. So it's like this fine line between being morally okay as a woman. And then this, woman who's not even sexy enough to be considered a woman. I really like this topic because I'm, 
I think about the things that we do see in the media, um, especially in areas where women have or young girls have been sent home for wearing inappropriate clothing Mm. at school. And yet if you were to go to stores like Forever 21 and you look at the clothes that are being sold, Mm -hmm. there is nothing modest about what is being sold. It's not like it's an area of this is being sold as sex clothes. This Mm -hmm. is just being sold as this is what fashion is right now. And that fashion is in contradiction to what some schools are trying to um, portray or say is okay Mm -hmm. in school. So if there is nothing to buy that is acceptable Mm -hmm. in school, then how are we to know what is right? Mm -hmm. And then being told that this is what is in right now. This is what's trendy this is how, you know, and a lot of things that we wear tend to, exp- we use that to to make us feel good. To You know, we often find our confidence in how we look. Right. It's, it's expressing ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so we like how we feel in those clothes. Yep. And, and then when we put them on and we feel good, then we go to school, then we're told that, well... It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable for us to feel good in our skin. Mm -hmm. It's not acceptable for us to feel good in our clothes that we need to cover up. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's almost like, why don't you respect yourself enough to to wear, to cover your skin or to, so why do I have to be disrespecting myself in order to feel sexy? If this is what I feel sexy and if this is what gives me confidence and makes me feel good about myself, Mm -hmm. why is it deemed negative by everybody else in the world? Right. Well, some of the things that we've seen that have been considered uh, inappropriate is girls that have uh, shoulder bones, that their Mm -hmm. shoulder bones at their neck um, protrude a little bit and that they show. So if they're wearing a shirt that shows their, their uh, collarbones, they're, they're deemed inappropriate. Or if it's showing their shoulders, mm-hmm. it's inappropriate. Um, skirt lengths has been a, yeah. a fight for, it seems like the last, you know, 50, 60 years, it's always been about the skirt lengths. Mm-hmm. And, you know, nowadays people, more girls are wearing leggings and then wearing, you know, skirts or dresses. And, and how is that being accepted in the schools? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's almost like a, a double standard there for sure. And I think we'll touch on that a little later because men don't have the same contradicting experiences as women. Men don't have that. Um, you're not dressing manly enough or you're not dressing uh, well, I guess even with how they portray themselves and how some days girls don't feel like wearing you know skirts and heels and whatever especially in college I guess I'm thinking around that age when girls are supposed to be more sexualized because they're these sexual subjects so they have to go to parties and wear the short dresses and the high heels which is makes them feel really good you know and it makes them confident in themselves and their long legs and the shape of their bodies but then to go to this party and be deemed a certain way because you're wearing that so it's almost like I'm expected to wear this to this party to fit in and not be considered this you know, isolated person who's not in tune with trends and fashion, but then I'm labeled a hoe or, or right. Easy. Well, and if you don't dress like that, then you're bullied. You'll, mm. you'll get bullied by, yep. you know, the other people there or mm-hmm. even neglected, you know, nobody wants to talk to you if right. you don't dress the way that they expect you to dress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the people that she interviewed, even in the book is quoted saying every college girl's dream is finding a balance between just slutty enough where you're not a prude, but you're not a whore. And that quote really stood out to me too, because that's a fine line. 
these right. days. It's a really fine line. Right. Because if something <clears throat> happens to you at these parties, you know, and, and it does. Uh-huh. The statistics show that so many women are raped in colleges, on college campuses, oh, yeah. at frat parties and all these other parties. You know, so then it's their fault for what they wore. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, she wore this, so it had. To, she was asking for it. Yeah. You know? Those headlines in themselves, I want to touch on that topic a little more later, too, because that's that's the whole idea of I'm responsible for not getting raped. Right. You know, how? why is it solely on me as a woman to not to hide my sexuality in order to not be uh, sexually assaulted? Right. And that's a whole other can of worms. And so this book definitely addresses the double standards, um, the societal expectations for women to uphold the moral standard for both sexes. So basically, women's modesty is treated as the thing that stops male sex drive. Like, if you weren't wearing that, or why would you wear that? Why would you expect me to react any differently? Because you're sh- you're showing your legs or your shoulder bones, and that's enticing to me, so right. stop wearing that. But then I'm reminded of the librarian. Mm. You know, when you think uh, how some men are attracted to the librarian oh, look, okay. where they are more conservative, wearing mm-hmm. glasses, have their hair up, and, and then they're a sexual object, too. Mm-hmm. That's true. And that's why it goes back to women's modesty. So it's no, it doesn't matter how modest I am. It doesn't matter how overtly sexy I am. That's almost treated as the controlling factor in the male's desire. Right. You know, and, and their libido, their sex drive. And so just even touching on that and some of the social institutions too, like schools and, church, and churches, I feel like that was never taught to us in, in those institutions. Yeah, you had the sex ed classes that talked about disease and baby and all those other things, but they never really touched on the desires, the good, the pleasurable pieces of sex. No, no, and you're not going to get those kinds of things generally at mm-hmm. home. Girls are are not given the idea that sex is good, that sex is supposed to feel good, mm-hmm. and that we're supposed to enjoy it or that we can enjoy it openly. Mm-hmm. It has to be this secret, and girls and women are not allowed to experience any joy in sex. Right. And that goes back to, too, the fact that those institutions sort of failed at at their responsibility to give those honest discussions with the youth um, about all aspects of sex outside of just the risk, the dangers, and the consequences of it. You think, what, is it eight years old, eight or nine years old, little boys are starting to get their boners or, or to... I don't know the um, yeah. oh, <laughs> an erection. An erection. That's what I'm looking for. At that early age, you know what I mean. And so mm-hmm. they're taught. They have this whole stage of sexuality that they're taught to go through, and the whole masturbation stage that they go through. Little girls, the same age, what's preventing them from feeling the same way that those males are? Just because they're not waking up to an erection doesn't mean that their sexual desires aren't forming at right. that same age. And right. we're often told. No, save it till marriage. That's something sacred, and don't give away your sugar. It won't make it you. You won't be sweet anymore. Right. You know? Right. And so even those double standards of of being able to learn that it's not necessarily a negative thing to be sexually aroused or you know so whatever gets your your blood flowing, so to speak. And so with that void that the schools and the churches aren't filling, as far as creating this or at least focusing on the negative consequences or the risk behind sex and being a virgin and abstinence and the purity rings and all that stuff. It it leaves a void for the media, which is a culture of pornography. I mean, you can get porn from anywhere. Even cartoons nowadays 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You go on any uh, video streaming uh, program Mm -hmm. and you're going to be able to find something that is very close to porn, soft porn, they want to call it Mm -hmm. or what have you. And um, the the sexually explicit um, moves, bodies Mm. together in Mm -hmm. these shows that are, you know, even PG-13 now is getting questionable. Yeah, some of the cartoons my son watches, he's what, 10 and they're talking about booty on there and all kinds of stuff. I'm like, are you serious? Like, this is a cartoon show that comes on at noon. Like, why are they showing these characters from behind and even eroticizing the degradation of women? That whole aspect of it. So it's like, I'm not getting taught these pleasurable pieces in school. I'm only talking to, you know, they're on teaching us consequences and condoms and, you know, STD statistics, but they're not talking about this pleasurable piece. So people go to pornography and other things to. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's interesting what you just said about the cartoon that your son is watching that mm-hmm. says, you know, that he's, that the boy is saying, look at that booty, mm-hmm. you know. We see a lot of television with cartoons or or even movies or TV shows where they, they do. It's the men are always identifying, oh, she's hot or mm-hmm. that's hot or I want to do that. Mm-hmm. But but where do we hear women freely being able to say, ooh, he's hot. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I want to do him. Right. There's not that. It's, it, it's There's just not that. It is. And why is that a negative thing for me as a woman to want to express that I see that this sexual being is very attractive to me mm-hmm. and I will probably want to explore a sexual realm with him. Why is that? Oh, a label of loose and easy and some of those terms right. that often are placed on young women who express their sexuality. I think sex in the city was a really good show that was out there oh, for a yeah. while that helped to identify for women, our experiences mm-hmm. uh, with sex and different partners and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I didn't watch the show a lot, but I know of the show and I had seen some episodes and I I think that that was kind of in that realm where it was showing it was okay for women to have sex. Yeah. And be sexually engaged in in relationships without it necessarily being negative or just looking at it from a positive light. Um, Young women have little encouragement to understand their bodies, let alone their desires. Instead, we grow up to associate sex as an act of pleasing someone else and we're stripped of our own pleasures. And so I think with sexuality in itself being that we weren't taught to, even I guess in in sex ed, we're taught the reproductive system and how Mm -hmm. babies are carried and all that. We're we're not often taught where the clitoris is and where to stimulate that and the lips and the folds of the vagina and the fact that everybody has different ones and what they look like. We're not taught that stuff. Mm -hmm. We're not taught to be, we're not encouraged to explore our own our own sexuality it's almost like we're we're taught to that sexuality is an act or sex in itself is an act of pleasing someone else well that and of course all your you know churches want to push that it's only for reproduction or Mm -hmm. that it is for reproduction so reproduction is the only reason to have sex Mm -hmm. in a relationship and that's why you have to be married is so that when you are having sex with a married individual you know, when you're a couple, that you are having sex to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And so those are just other social constructs or stigmas or um, meanings that are placed from society onto these everyday acts that should be, you know, explored and, and understood from different perspectives. Sex is often looked at, like I said, in this negative way, it discourages women from even exploring what they want from sex or what they don't want from sex because we don't have the option of just going out there and freely figuring it out. 
you know, like how men are often taught, yeah, oh, you finally, here's condoms, you know, you're, you're getting up there. How many girls have you slept with kind of thing and almost pushed out the door with condoms right. in hand to go have this sexual experience and to sow their royal oats or whatever you want to call it before right. they're married. But for women, it's like, oh, you're sexually active. No, be pure till you're married. Uh, find the right person to share that 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 one sexual experience. What it has to be perfect. It has to be ideal. Mm-hmm. Like almost idealized. Like losing your virginity is this awesome thing that's only going to take place once in your life, and you don't want to do that with any you know with anybody. But mm-hmm. looking at women who had that taken from them, people who were molested at early ages, how do they right. define it and construct their virginity? They have to feel unworthy. Or right, like they lost something. Like they lost, yeah. And it's a all huge because, loss. Yeah, society places that emphasis on it, you know? Mm-hmm. So now that I'm not a virgin, I, am I even worth anything? You know what I mean? I remember feeling that way mm-hmm. when I was 16. Um, my first boyfriend, I, I told him no, and he went ahead and, mm-hmm. and went forward with that. And, and it was really terrible for me. I grew up in a, you know, in a Christian household and was told that, that was to be saved for mm-hmm. the person that I married. And once that was taken for me from me, my value just plummeted and I didn't feel that I was worth anything. Mm-hmm. I thought it was my fault. Yep. And I, and I put, I, that I, that I had put myself out there for that mm-hmm. to happen to me. And, and so, yeah. And then moving forward from that, how do you bounce back from that? Especially the way society puts that, those pieces on you. So now, you're labeled as, you know, not pure enough or not whatever enough by society, let alone what you're feeling guilt on, you know, on your yeah, own. Guilt and shame on my part mm-hmm. that I was, it was my fault. And mm-hmm. then it really ruined a big ch- portion of my life and um, searching mm-hmm. out wrong relationships after that. Yep. And because it does. I, because when effect. I was in those relationships, then I always felt like, um, man, I should have, you know, saved myself for mm-hmm. them That's and exactly. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have been in that situation. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that, that just goes to show too, that we aren't the only ones as parents anyway, or as, yeah. Cause you think, where did you, cause you said you grew up in a Christian household. So some of those beliefs and stuff come from that, you know, of, of sexuality and, and shaping our sexual selfhood. Um, we also learn from our peers, people that we hanging out with, you know, some people are have parents who are more freer than others and don't hold those same values. So those, ideas of sexuality and virginity you know we sort of mm-hmm. encompass all of that in, including our culture cultural right. pieces and um who we date in general because mm-hmm. you can hold this value of virginity and then meet this awesome guy that you think you're supposed to be in love with and you know spend the rest of your life with but then you guys have intercourse and it's over right you know? the guy leaves you mm-hmm. or, or you realize oh my gosh this guy you know isn't going to be the right guy for me mm-hmm. but now i've had sex yep. now i'm i've got nothing else to offer to anybody else because mm-hmm. i had to be a virgin yep and so that's exactly what this book focused on a lot of those whole pieces behind it and a lot of the times well the fact that most of the people that she interviewed were white well-educated upper-class women and so those women often had uh, a lot of options open to them, ones who most benefited from women's economic and political progress, so to speak. And they still weren't taught their own sexuality. They still had to go through that experience. So just imagine some of the other cultures or working class or women of color, those populations who had to negotiate sex, desire and power with other different challenges as well. And how do they come up with those strategies to negotiate that? What do those outcomes look like? People who wasn't mm-hmm. even afforded the opportunity to at least have some of that. Uh, well, and to them. then, you know, 
I, I think of that. I think of the whole getting um, condoms and birth control and mm-hmm. how those things are more readily available for those upper class white family mm-hmm. members you were talking about and how they would be less likely to get pregnant where people of color and in low, people in lower economic uh, statuses would be less able to get birth control. Mm-hmm. They have those sexual sexual experiences without the real education, other than you know point A goes in point B, mm-hmm. and then they get pregnant, and now it's their fault because mm-hmm. they had sex. Yep, and that goes back to the point of us teaching you know, the, the consequences to a lot of stuff, but not the pleasurable pieces, the safety aspects. Yeah, wear a condom and do this or the other. But they're so eager to find out because, like I said, they're getting this information from pornography and all these other pieces of what pleasure is supposed to look like. Oh, it looks fun. It looks pleasurable. Why would I want to enjoy that? Because you've been getting hit with all these negative consequences to mm-hmm. it. That when you're actually in a position to engage in that activity, you're not really, you're so focused on the pleasure pieces, you're not really thinking about the negative consequences that you've been taught for so long or, or how to even use those apparatuses, like you said, even having access to it. Mm-hmm. It's a total different can of worms. And so even in the book, uh, she said that I think two of the people that she interviewed actually said that they had substantial conversations with their fathers about sex. And from my perspective, I think it's up to both sexes, you know, women and females to be able to pass along the knowledge of, or even talk about sexuality in general. I feel like a lot of dads are like, oh, my baby girl, you know, not, not you save it till marriage. You're so pure. You know, don't ever have sex until you're 35 until you're married. But then with their sons, like I said, they're often sent out the door with a pack of condoms and saying, you know, go get them tiger you know give him that pat on the back right you can have you can have a man who's got both sons and daughters and is going to be one way where he's patting the son on the back Mm -hmm. and telling him go for it you know hit that but then with his daughters who are the same age that the son was Mm -hmm. are telling them you're not even allowed to talk to the boy on the phone Mm -hmm. you know you're not allowed to go out on a date you're not allowed to anything and yet you know because the daughter is supposed to be pure the daughter is supposed to say safe Mm -hmm. and 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 it is it's such a double standard yeah and it's like you're putting these unachievable expectations on me you know what I mean right well because girls are two years advanced to boys as it is Mm -hmm. so girls are hitting their sexual peak at 16 they're they're already between 14 and 15 starting to express themselves Mm -hmm. as as uh you know, what they want to represent themselves, sexual subjects. And so by the time they're 16, that's when they're really in that, in that mode, in that prime. And Mm -hmm. now you're telling them when their hormones are going crazy, oh, no, lock that up. You Mm -hmm. can't, you know, no. It's negative. Don't think about it. Instead of having open conversations with Mm -hmm. them about sex and, you know, allowing them to make their choice to not have sex until they're ready mm-hmm. or when they feel that they are ready to yeah. have sex. Or even that whole idea of finding out what you like and what you don't like. And that whole yeah. aspect of things and talking about it in general is, is often overlooked. And I think, too, we spoke about this a little earlier, but having to be the responsibility of both sexes to refrain from over-sexualizing people or placing those sort of titles or expectations on people. I think when it comes to consent, especially we talked about the college campuses and, you know, people saying no, but guys still going through with that. It's almost expected as men to get that no and then still be persistent. 
Right, because women, when they say no, mean yes, mm-hmm. is what they're supposed to, you know, the whole idea. Well, you know, she said no, but I could tell that she really still wanted it. Yeah, and it's like if I said no, then I meant no. But it, I guess from a female's perspective, if I'm saying no and I know that this guy's still going to pursue me, I don't want to feel like I'm having something taken from me. So you right. often submit or you're froze. Right. or right. You, well, you know. And here's the other thing, you know, when you're kissing a guy and you're having all that good feeling when you're 16, you say no, you don't want to have sex with him. It doesn't mean you still, you know, you still like my, like making out. You want to make out, you know, yep. but then if you're making out, then, then that means that you want to have, have sex. Like, why is that the assumption made? You know, right. it's almost like going out to a bar even nowadays and dancing and having a good time and then they want to get the groping and feeling and, and it's like yeah. whoa 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 I like, drink and yeah. you know they you you owe them now mm-hmm. yep and that's so sad too so that's my point as far as when it comes to consent and forced sexual acts men should be held responsible for preventing sexual assault while women should be encouraged to master assertiveness and self-advocacy which are crucial self-defense skills um, when it comes to being able to protect yourself and stand up for yourself. And I think it should be encouraged at home, but also everywhere else too. I'll keep seeing this video. I forget the name of it, but I see it on Facebook all the time. And it's these women who are saying, I'm tired of being responsible for not being raped. Yeah, I can't it. wear my ponytail, you know, cause that makes it easier for people to grab me. Right. I can't wear, you know, high heels. Cause how am I supposed to run when I'm walking home late at night? I can't. So we're often on hyper vigilant about, you know, not being attacked just yeah. for wearing certain things or even all the Uber drivers. Just in general, being being a woman mm-hmm. and being somewhere, you know, in the dark or, you know, well, I have no business being there because I'm a girl because mm-hmm. I could be raped. Yeah. Why is that my fault? Mm-hmm. It's Why not. should I not be able to walk where I want to walk, yep. go where I need to go? Yep. And not worry about whether or not I'm going to get mm-hmm. raped. And that's why I think a lot of that stuff goes underreported too, because we often feel blame. We often take our own blame because we know that society's going to blame us. Well, right. well, what were you wearing? Well, what did you have to drink? Or what do you? None right. of that matters if I'm saying no. Right. You know what I mean? None of that matters. Even I heard a story about an Uber driver who dropped his woman off with her pants around her legs. You know, and it's like, oh, well, she was drunk. She shouldn't have gotten in a car with him. Or, oh, she was, you know what I mean? It's like always an excuse as to why it happened as opposed to this guy forced himself on a woman that didn't want it at the end of the day. That's what happened. No matter what I'm wearing, and that goes back to us, um, that double standard of being modest, but then being sexy. So if this is what makes me feel sexy and I want to go out and have a night out on the town, why am I harassed by that? Oh, well, she wanted it because she wore that little skirt. Not because I thought my legs looked cute. When right. I left the house, you know, that's why I wore it because I want to show my curves. I want to be able to dance. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily give you the right to, you know, impose yourself on me. And I've heard stories like, well, you know, you at the club, what do you expect? You know, these all these girls out here that are dressing the way they do, they're doing that for a reason to get attention to, you know, to have sex with people. And I'm like, that's not necessarily the case for every woman that you see. If I wore this same short dress to a cocktail party at a black and white event, I wouldn't be perceived that way. Right. But since I'm wearing the same outfit to a night bar at Friday, you know, Friday night downtown, now all of a sudden I'm loose and easy and I'm willing to have sex with everybody. Not the fact that I just wanted to go out and have a dance with my friends and I thought you was cute. So we made out a little bit. You know what I mean? So it's totally two different perspectives is how men see women and what, you know, how they present themselves and And how we feel about ourselves and what we wear and how we look. Exactly. Exactly. And so even with that part of who's responsible and and understanding that whole aspect of it, of just not 
looking at it. So that's another reason why I really wanted to talk because don't just look at it from the outside and how society views it. Even from men's perspective, yeah, culturally, women who wear short dresses are easy and they're considered hoes. But look at it from the the woman's perspective. Is this this is how I feel when I wear this? This is what I'm intending behind this outfit. Not necessarily your expectation, your views, your opinions of what this outfit is and what it means. But this is what it means mm-hmm. to me when I wear it. And I feel like that goes into a lot with school. We talked a little bit about that as far as um, getting sent home and you know wearing things that aren't considered appropriate. And then the effects from that, the slut shaming that happens behind that. And so slut shaming is a form of cyberbullying where girls are targeted on social media and bullied through or bullied through degradation or humiliation for their sexuality. So even in schools, people are, you know what I'm saying? Or with social media too, a little girl, you know, wears an outfit to school and now she's considered, you know, easy or or whatever the case may be, and she's being bullied by that, putting posts onto Facebook or even when, um, mm-hmm. like in the 13 Reasons Why, right, where the uh, she was hanging out with a guy, he took pictures of her. Nothing even happened on the date. Right. But those pictures were spread all around the school, and now she's a hoe. Now she's had sex with him, and everybody else, whatever else pieces people are putting to that story. Right. And so just being in that situation as far as, like I said, looking at it from both perspectives and, and how easy it is for for us to be put in this position of having to defend our sexuality, even while we're on a journey of learning it. You know right. what I mean? That's so hard from a woman's perspective. Right. We're not allowed to. Mm-hmm. We're just not allowed to. Yeah. And so, yeah, boys are usually received. They receive praise and you know, admiration for proof of their sexual conquest, while girls are branded as loose, easy, uh, slut, skank, a whore. So as a result, girls are often left with a sense of deep humiliation, shame, embarrassment, worthlessness and pain um they also may resort to self-bullying and eating disorders to cope with the pain a lot of people don't see that those pieces behind that too and that's why i think 13 reasons why it was so powerful because it showed those pieces even right. though it got a lot of controversy um but many of those body image issues you know even depression anxiety thoughts of suicide are all linked to slut shaming which is basically oh yeah that's slut shaming on mm-hmm. on the internet it just goes wild mm-hmm. you know you've got teenagers who are that's a whole nother thing they get on the internet and uh don't have necessarily a filter for their friends only and things can easily go um everywhere so it's mm-hmm. not entirely just their friends who see things right but everyone and so then the shame, the guilt, the it gets to their parents. Then mm-hmm. they get, you know, in trouble with their parents for yep. maybe being where they weren't supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And and so then all this guilt and shame builds up and, and it's horrible. Yep. Yep. And that's exactly, there was even like a slew of, uh, uh, well, numerous young girls who were sexually assaulted or sexually shamed, excuse me, that later took their own lives for things that they didn't even do, you know, leaving them feeling like, Suicide was their only option because their whole reputation is ruined. You know, in high school, you know, that's end all be all for for some people in that that state Mm -hmm. of mind. And so being in a position where your whole reputation is ruined and you you don't feel like you can get that back. Right. Well, you got to face your your friends and your colleagues Mm -hmm. and your peers every single day. For eight hours. Yep. So, you know, something happens on social media and now you got to go to school and everybody knows your business. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then you think, why do kids even bully others? You know, especially 
with the slut shaming or sexually period like why is it even a, a thing that people are making fun of somebody else's sexual sexual journey and so um according to this article um from very well which is a news source which is pretty interesting actually but um they listed some of the top reasons um why kids bully others sexually include improving their social status within the school so people are actually actively hurting other people or spreading rumors about people just to be more popular at the end of the day um they might be envious or jealous of the individual or need attention and a fear of their own developing sexuality Mm -hmm. um and so once kids reach adolescence, they place a lot of importance on how they look and what their peers think of them. And so the goal is to be uh, to appear uh, mature and accepted. And that's why a lot of those people peer pressure and they form those cliques and, you know, focus on bullying other girls or even girl on girl um, uh, slut shaming mm-hmm. and um, calling them out of their out of their names or sexually explicit names spreading juicy stories or rumors that they've heard or people that you've even considered your friends are turning their backs on you because they feel like this is a up in my social status mm-hmm. if i told what you did at that party last night um and mm-hmm. so i guess just to end that piece with the word from very well um i'm gonna read a quote here that i thought was very interesting um and it's it's quoted saying here talking to your kids about sex is never a comfortable conversation for either party But if you want your teen to have a healthy view of sex and understand what is normal and what isn't, it's a conversation that can't wait. As a result, be sure you are not only discussing the risks associated with technology or sexuality or sexual acts in general, but also talking about the things that are that are witnessing online or they are witnessing online as far as the students are concerned. With open and honest communication, you can become a sounding board for your teen and help her or him make wise choices down the road. And so I felt that that was very important too, because having that talk often opened those doors to understanding, right. you know, and that ability to ask questions. And also in uh, just to quick throw this in here, um, the LGBTQ community, I, I want to throw that out there as that's mm-hmm. also a big portion of this mm-hmm. um, with depression and slut shaming mm-hmm. and, and all the things that they go through in not being able to express their sexuality mm-hmm. and uh, having open conversation and learning about who they are mm-hmm. and, and how they want to express themselves mm-hmm. um, because that, that needs to be addressed as well in the home openly mm-hmm. uh, through good conversations so that they can be happy and have good, healthy lives too. Mm-hmm. I would definitely agree because who, who determines what turns you on? You know what I mean? At mm-hmm. eight, nine years old, when you're getting those um, feelings, and ex- feelings. Yeah. It's like, I can't help that this guy was the one who did that to me or that I'm attracted to a female, you right. know, that produces those feelings in me. And so a lot of people who are, you know, having to, to mask those because society says it's wrong for you to have those feelings towards the same sex. Right. You know, and, and just thinking of it that way. So that was the whole purpose of this podcast to sort of just have the conversation and getting those, just starting the conversation, hopefully. Um, so please comment, share, like, subscribe, and tell me what you guys think about this session. Um, thank you, Angela, for thank being a part of it. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, no problem. All right. Bye, guys. Do you feel me?